Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shaw. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Countryside programme with Simon Clark here on Manx Radio. And this week, uh, we look ahead to the celebration of the Manx Electric Railway's 125th year. I spoke to some of the people involved in putting on a marvellous exhibition of the trams and logistically how difficult it was to get the three number one trams and carriages all at Laxey Station. We also find out more about bats here on the Isle of Man from the chairman of the Manx Bat Group, Kevin Wells. And also Kerry spoke to Caroline Dawson recently at the Isle of Man Food, Farming and Fishing Awards. She was the guest speaker there at the event. A very interesting was as well, uh, coming from Wales and uh, bred well into the uh, farming industry for many years, her family as well. And she is a big advocate for promoting the local produce from where she's from. She came over to the Isle of Man as that guest speaker to share uh, some of that knowledge of uh, trying to promote local produce and get the consumers to buy it. So here all is now in this week's Countryside. Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, recently on Countryside, you'll have heard us speaking to some of the winners of the Isle of Man Farming Food and Fishing Awards. Well, Kerry caught up with the guest speaker at the awards, Caroline Dawson. Caroline, welcome back to the Isle of Man. I believe this isn't your first visit here. No, not at all. I think I've lost count now, but it's around the sixth or seventh time I've been across to the Isle of Man. You were active in the Young Farmers many years ago then. Yeah, I probably got myself a bit of a reputation back in the day. Um, it's strange actually to be here sort of, you know, speaking and taking part of the show in this sort of kind of way. Normally I'm sort of stock judging or perhaps in the beer tent. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the purpose of your visit this time? So this time I was invited over to uh, give a talk really and sort of share my expertise on uh, food and drink over in Wales. We had the, the fantastic food awards sort of celebrating the best of the Isle of Man. So for me it was great to sort of see the producers, the products and sort of you know, share share what I do really, hopefully inspire you know the Manx producers. This is it but you also sit on on the board you're a judge of Bear Fine Foods. Yeah so for my sins the last three years I've been a judge on the Guild of Fine Food. I've judged the Great Taste Awards um, and it was really great to actually walk into the food hall today and sort of see the sort of plethora of awards that you know for such a small island really sort of how well you guys have done. And I suppose you could compare this to your food hall back at the Royal Welsh in particular. Oh, the Royal Welsh show is, is just mega. Um, our food hall is, yeah, I think it's like, it's on sort of steroids. It's, it's just mega. Um, we have a business lounge and, 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 you know, a good couple of hundred producers there and it's sort of celebrating the, the best of Wales. But yeah, it's just it's just on epic proportions. And how does a buyer's hall work? So we have a buyer's hall, but we call it a trade lounge. So upstairs we have like a showcase of around 250 products with a lot of emphasis on sort of new and innovative products. So what we do is invite all the buyers to the show to so the likes of your large sort of multiples your retailers wholesalers that kind of thing um, and sort of try and get some deals sort of brokered and made whilst at the show so it is really important to the welsh economy it's huge huge you know some of the deals that came out of the show which which only happened a few weeks ago you know we're actually going to be on supermarket shelves within a couple of weeks and you know it's worth sort of you know thousands hundreds of thousands of pounds you know just a couple of days you know at a show so it works it definitely works it sure does yeah but when you think of wales you always think of welsh lamb but tonight in your speech you said differently well everybody thinks of wales and everybody thinks of Wales and sheep 
but yeah, I was I came across something this week which was sort of quite interesting in the fact that the export uh, market over in Wales is actually it's bigger within seafood than it is for lamb, which actually you know it surprised me and I think it surprised some some guys this evening. But it's it's a real fast growing sector, you know, and they do it all without any sort of grants and support. So you know, good on them. And you have a system in Wales, the mentoring of business, and this is something you're particularly fond of, especially in the seafood area. Well, yeah, we we've got a really sort of rigorous system in Wales where we sort of take businesses through from sort of you know, small sort of SME kind of businesses right through to sort of getting into the large sort of multiple retailers and we've got all the sort of different steps in place so we can do sort of food innovation work we can do research we can do market development it's sort of right the way through and it really gives them that sort of boost and good handhold sort of to, to get them sort of progressing up through the ranks and it's that support that's essential for business development oh for sure and I think over in Wales you know even in the last sort of five or six years the, the sort of difference that we've we've seen in the food industry um, and I think a lot of it is down to the, the sort of support mechanisms as, as Welsh Government Food and Drink Wales what they've got in place. But you're no stranger of hard work at the weekends you're a busy girl too. <laughs> for my sins yeah I, um, I've got a little catering truck called Fodder in the Field that we've been running for the last four years um, which sort of started off as a bit of a hobby um, and then it sort of turned into sort of quite a serious weekend business <laughs> to the point now where um, you know, last year for instance we had two weekends off between April and October um, on top of sort of working as well my poor partner he was dragged in um, you know we, we enjoy it and I think what we, why I enjoy it is because I sort of showcase you know what I do sort of Monday to Friday I find these amazing Welsh products and then I just cook with them and um, you know and people see that and we just keep it simple we don't do any micro herbs or anything fancy it's just good quality wholesome grub but this is great for people that you're helping support businesses. You're there trying and doing it yourself yeah. as well. You've taken a small business and you've grown it yourself. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's a lot to be said. I think if you're helping businesses and you're trying to do business development, business innovation kind of work, I think if you're there on the ground and you understand you know, the finance side of things, you understand you know, the food hygiene, the safety, the paperwork, you know, what it takes to market a business, I think it gives you that empathy and understanding to sort of what these sort of smaller companies face. And I think they appreciate it more that, you know, you've, you've got that experience to give back. And you obviously love to get out and find new markets. You love to travel and find export markets in particular. That was one of the key points in your talk tonight. It's something that people uh, maybe shy away from. Well, it was funny today. I met with, met with Carol earlier today from ShopRite and she was saying that, you know, you've just got to constantly keep thinking big. You've got to be brave. You've got to be bold. And I think, you know, that is really key in the food industry. I think that's a key thing to take away. And certainly with export or other sort of, you know, market opportunities, I think you've just got to say, right, where could I potentially be? You've just got to push yourself, you know, and I think you've got to do one thing in life to scare you, I think. And I think doing something like that is quite scary. <laughs> but as businesses, you know, the world's your oyster at the end of the day, honestly. And you get as much as you sort of put into it, you, you get out. So hard work, grit and determination, I'm, I'm sure you'll get there. Gary Kermode speaking to the guest speaker at the Isle of Man Farming Food and Fishing Awards, Caroline Dawson. Well, last weekend it was International Bat Weekend, and it was celebrated also here on the Isle of Man by the Manx Bat Group. Catherine Nicholl caught up with Kevin Wells, who's the chairman of the Manx Bat Group, to find out more about these creatures. Now, we're here at Glenwell, and we have heard a couple of bats tonight. There's one answering you. <laughs> um, what kind of species are there of bats in the Isle of Man? Uh, up until very recently, there were seven species of bat on the Isle of Man. Um, Common pipistrel, soprano pipistrel, Lysler, brown long ear, grey whiskered, Dorbentons, and Natras. 
We have just recently had some recordings which have been sent away and we believe are another species, uh, Nathusius, one that we've been looking for for the last three years. We haven't actually ever had one in hand or seen one, but we have recordings that we believe are from that particular species. So hopefully we now have an eighth species. Um, that's a bat that was only found a few years ago in Northern Ireland, is now in some places in England they found some breeding colonies. We're hoping we will find one, but unfortunately it's very difficult to see. You've got to find the roost in the first place. But we always hold out hope that we will, it will become a, the eighth known species. There is a record many, many years ago of a potential another species that was found on the, on the island, but it was a long, long time ago, and we never actually saw that bat. We just have, somebody has described it, and we know what species, it, from the description, it could only really be one type, and that's not one we have. And these days you have some fairly sophisticated kit to detect which we, bat is actually passing by you. Yes, yes, we've got um, several different types of detector. The one that you're hearing hissing and clicking in the background is a heterodyne, which is the basic type of detector. That, put simply, changes the ultrasound that a bat is making into a, an audible sound that humans can hear, so it turns it into clicks. But because of the way the bat is making the sound and the, and the conversion process, they all sound slightly different. So the, from the click we can usually tell, and it will tell us at what frequency the bat is actually broadcasting. We then have two others on types, time division or frequency division, and full spectrum. Full spectrum is basically recording it as the sound is being made, exactly as it sounds, it's the pattern. So you get the frequency, starting frequency, the peak frequency, the ending frequency, the division, the time between the calls, etc. That's the sort of thing that we would use to actually really analyse what type of back call it is. And we'd put that into a computer and from all that information, I was told, we can work out, hopefully, what bat it is. Um, there is another type that we leave out at night to monitor, something called Nanobat. And that uses zero crossing frequency. And that will record overnight any bat that passes by. And then we take that and we'll run that through some software on a computer and we're looking at the pattern and hopefully detecting what type of bats have been around in that area at night. Oh, there goes another bat. And it's surprising. I mean, I, I certainly didn't know how small some of the bats are. You, you, I suppose everybody's used to the bats you see on television or in yeah, cartoons the, and the, they're, the they're, the they're a fair size. Yeah, the fruit bats, which are the ones that you've seen at the wildlife park, etc. Our bats are anything from inch and a half, inch, inch and a half, body length up to one about the size of a hamster. The most common bat, the common pipistrel we have, will fit on the pad of your thumb, body size. So it sort of gives you, tries to give you an idea and put it in a matchbox and it's folded up. But flying it's a little bit bigger. Flying, its wingspan is about 20 centimetres, so it looks a lot bigger when it's flying, which is why everybody thinks they're a lot bigger than they actually are. But they are quite small and uh, nice little furry creatures. And bats do tend to have not the greatest reputation. Nowadays bats don't have a great reputation. Um, since Dracula. Oh, that's a Lysler bat that you can hear flying around. It's a slightly different sound here, it's a chip chop chip chop. That was just flying past. So that's another one of our species. So, so far you've had two species while you're standing here. Yeah, bats don't have a good reputation, mainly because of Dracula. Before then, they were actually considered lucky. People in the old days used to encourage bats. Now, everybody thinks they're gonna come and drink their blood or whatever. It's actually only two species of vampire bat in the whole world 
and there are over 1,100 species worldwide. So two out of 1,100 is not that bad. And neither of those species are here in the Isle of Man? Neither of those species are over here on the Isle of Man. No, they're uh, somewhere off in the, in the world. You know, it's not, not one we have to worry about. That was chairman of the Manx Bat Group, Kevin Wells, talking to Catherine Nicholl. <laughs> Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, on Saturday, it's the start of a wonderful celebration of 125 years of the Manx Electric Railway. I spoke to some various people involved in getting the celebrations together. Firstly, I spoke to the customer service manager, Hannah Labeo. We've got a jam-packed week, basically, full of different events, some for enthusiasts that are coming from all over the world just specifically for this event. And then we've also got some for the actual people of the island, the residents, to help celebrate such a significant time, 125 years of the oldest tram in the world. Obviously, took quite a bit of planning, I would imagine, this. And uh, I suppose when you're entertaining enthusiasts from all over the world, it's uh, probably one of the biggest events that you'll have. Yes, it has a lot of planning and a lot of sleepless nights, I'd say, as well. We have a lot of volunteers and a lot of enthusiasts that come with us with their ideas. And the way that we work is they come with the brilliant ideas. We see if they can actually come into fruition and make them logistically work with other members of the team. Now, you've uh, had to organise quite a bit ahead of this, I'd imagine. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that we're really working on organising at the moment is the festival day. We've got a big birthday party happening in Laxey on the 2nd of September. That's going to have everything. We're going to have Manx dancers, we're going to have bands playing, we've got um, singers from who won different awards through the island. We've got birthday cake, we've got fairground rides, we've got it all going on. So just to bring all that down, and the main dramatic part of that day is going to be that we're going to have the three number ones here. So we've got the horse tram coming up with the number one. We've got the Manx Electric Railway number one and the Snaefell number one all coming to the one location, which is going to be a great photo opportunity as well and once-in-a-lifetime thing to see. I'm intrigued about the horse tram situation getting here. I suppose we'll hear about that from Steve uh, later on in the programme. But, Andrew Scarf, you've got the the job of... uh, well, I suppose researching all of this and getting all the information correct, uh, because obviously there won't be many people around when the uh, Manx Electric Railway started. Sadly, so I mean, there's nobody around that I'm aware of. It'd be very interesting if there was, because I'd have a thousand and one questions to ask them. Yeah, I've been involved. As Hannah said, we've got an action-packed week, and it's taken a lot of putting together. I've been involved with it now, I think, probably two years. I think we first came up with a, the plan to do something, so we've been working on it for that long. One of my other main involvements is I lead the team of volunteers that come in and help the railway staff through a variety of tasks. But our main project has been restoring Car Number 14. It's gone on for three years. I've been living, breathing and dreaming about Car 14 at that time, but finally it's come to fruition. It's going to be the highlight, I think, of the week where loads of people are going to come over and see it. It's the first time it's run since 1978, carrying a passenger. And uh, there's one just coming past us here now, number 20. That's number 20. It's um, a mere youngster, really, compared to number one that was sitting on there. Number 20 dates back to 1899. We're actually sitting on number one now, which is the oldest operating electric tram in the world. It was bought brand new in 1893 for the opening of the line to Groudle, and it's in the Guinness Book of Records. 
So we're very, very proud of it. So this Manx Electric Railway is the oldest running one in the world with this car? It's the oldest electric tram still in operation on its original line. So it's still doing what it was built to do 125 years ago, which is carrying passengers on the Manx Electric Railway. It's not in a museum, it's on a working railway, still doing its original job. That's pretty incredible. And when, you, yeah. when we're sitting looking in around it now, the varnished wood, which I suppose is, has been one of the secrets to mm. keeping these vehicles preserved. Yeah, it's an incredible piece of woodwork skill. The joiners who built this were extremely um, talented and um, skilled people. And anybody that travels on it, it really needs to stop and look at the, the skill that's gone involved in, in building it. As you say, it's lovely varnished now, keeping it in tip-top working order. What about the volunteer side of it? How important is that? The volunteer side is something really that's only come on stream in the last few years where we've been actively encouraged to come and get involved in, in helping. But our attention has really been focused on Car 14 for the last three years, although we've now been moving on to doing other items of rolling stock. So now, it's just, what's, what's so special about Car about 14? Car 14, is it unique? Let's explain it. It is, mm-hmm. it is on the railway at the moment because it's a, what's known as a ratchet car, which means it's only got handbrakes only. All our other operational trams have got very powerful air brakes. And this one is a traditional handbrake car. So you look on the old pictures where you see somebody with the, like the old drivers with the brass handles where they're winding up in the front. It works entirely by muscle power of the, the driver. I have to say the brakes on it are very powerful, but rather than compressed air, it's the driver's skill in, in applying it. None of them are in use at the moment. We've got about eight of these cars, and as sort of tourism died and faded away in the 1970s, they were taken out of service. So we had the idea to put one of them back in service. It's taken, say, three years. The first time that volunteers and the railway staff have worked together and the, the results will be here for all to see in, on September when the official launch day. It's been a long time, a lot of hard work, but we've got there in the end and the, the car looks superb. 125 years ago it all started. Um, obviously, it was a small route then, was it? Yeah, it started in a very small way, Simon. The tramway opened back on 7th of September in 1893, just between Douglas and Groudle. At that time, there was nobody living there. It was out in the sort of the wild east of the Isle of Man. It extended in stages over the next few years to um, Laxey in 1894, Ramsey, Balua in 1898, and Ramsey itself in 1899. The very first section was just Douglas to Groudle for the first few weeks of the first season. And that's something we'll be celebrating in the week on the actual 125th day itself. There'll be a special car using number one with invited guests going between Douglas to Groudle to relive that very first journey and then come back to Derby Castle where we're going to have the Governor unveiling a plaque to celebrate it. Well, Steve Hold, um, the vehicles are all going to end up in Laxey at some stage, including the horse tram. How much of a difficult job is, is arranging all of that? It's fairly difficult, but um, it's something that we all embrace. Since we take over the horse trams from the Douglas Corporation, they're part of our fleet now, we've been steadily doing the horse trams up and getting them into a, a really good condition as I'm sure members of public will see when they travel along the promenade and bringing out number one is something that we all look forward to doing we were going to use a local contractor who has rails on the on his low loader we shall bring the horse tram out and we're actually having horses at different stages through the day which will be on the horse tram itself as well. So as Hannah pointed out before, it would be a great picture opportunity for members of the public to go onto the trams and get their pictures taken and see the three number ones from Isle of Man Railways all together now. Will they all run on the same track or have they all got different widths? So explain that side of it. The Snaefell Mountain Railway runs on a three and a half foot gauge. The low road, as we call it, the MER, and the horse trams run on a three foot gauge. 
So yeah, they are different gauges. So as you can see in the station now, we have the lines coming out and you can physically see that Snaefell 1 is, is six inches obviously wider because it has a fell break on. It's um, different technology to how we work. They used to actually do the, the body works of the Snaefell trams in at Derby Castle many years ago and they had things called accommodation bogies. They'd lift the bodywork off the Snaefell tram and put it onto a set of three foot gauge trolleys, uh, bogies and bring them into Derby Castle for the trams to be painted. Now we have a fairly extensive um, workshop down at Derby Castle and we have been doing a lot of restoration on the trams. The fleet now is looking, as far as I'm concerned, in very tip-top condition. And we have all the full working sets out now. And again, working with the volunteers who, who do a lot of the, the work for us as well on rubbing down and a lot of the has how can i put up the donkey work simon they do an awful lot of the elbow grease they come in and they embrace it and they do an awful lot of stripping of the paintwork and and all the all the hard work really we come in and do the nice finishing off and all the mechanical side and the electrical side but it's good that we have a, a, a set of volunteers who come in and embrace the work that, that they want to do and they're very interested and it does rub off on everybody then because everybody sees how enthusiastic they are as Andrew pointed out, it is the longest running railway, has been for a long time. It's not museum pieces. The fleet do, on average, which might shock a few people, are probably around about 100,000 miles in one season. Really? Yeah. That's just the MER side of it. That's not taken in consideration, the, the mountain railway and the horse trams. So the MER itself, the fleet that, we, that I look after, the stock, does nearly 100,000 miles. The winter saloons, which you just heard going past before, they do between 12 and 14,000 miles, which I'm sure the local people, are real, when they look at their mileometer on their car, we, we don't do that many miles around the island. You know, so people might think that we are a museum, but we are a, a railway that does work and does earn its, earn its keep. Well, Liam Miller, you're in charge of uh, letting everyone know what's going on. Has that been a, a bit of a minefield? Um, well, for the past year or so now, it's been a huge part of my job role within the office obviously preparing the leaflets preparing all the publicity that goes behind this working with radio people such as yourself to promote it so it has been challenging at times and obviously there's only so much we can accommodate within the eight days and there was so much to choose from to start off with and we've whittled it down to what we believe to be the top quality attractions that people are going to come for during this event and as Hannah mentioned earlier we've got people coming from all over the world to see these trams during the festival we've got people coming from America, Australia, New Zealand, Switzerland, Germany just to give a few so it's going to be a huge event and we're hoping it will provide a lot of you know money into the economy of the Isle of Man whilst it's happening. Yeah you talk about enthusiasts around the world there is something about change in general that people find interesting the enthusiasts the the anoraks as it they is. call them but when when you look at this even to somebody who may not know much about trains or anything like that when you sit in this it makes you think wow 125 years ago this started out its role and it's still going today doing it uh, it's, it's very very unique and what we've got to remember is when this was new electricity was in its infancy and to come on an electric tramway in 1893 would have been an enormous deal to most of the public on the Isle of Man who probably wouldn't have even ever seen a light bulb. 
So it's a great big deal and it, we're very proud that it's still here 125 years on. Well, looking at the leaflets uh, in front of me here, there's, there's plenty going on for people from around the world, like you say. Maybe some of them won't be listening to Countryside, but some of the locals will. Yeah. What can they see? We've got a range of events over the eight days. We've got the Family Day on the 2nd of September, which is going to be here at Laxey Station. Um, we've got various attractions that Hannah mentioned earlier on. We've also got the opportunity to drive a tram. Really? We do, yeah. The ones for the 1st of September have actually sold out, so we're hoping to put some more on the following weekend, so we'll keep you up to date with that one, and hopefully there'll be another 12 spaces available, so if you want to book them, they'd have to be booked very quick. On the 7th of September, it's probably one of the biggest days during the whole festival as so we've got a cavalcade of all operational stock. So we're hoping to have 14 tram sets out and what will happen is they'll proceed through Laxey Station one by one and Charles Guard will be here giving a history of the rolling stock that's coming through and then once that's finished the trams will resume their service for the day. So it'll be a very unique thing to see because the last time it happened was 25 years ago in 1993 it would have been for the centenary off the railway. But we'll finally turn it back to you Steve, it's something I suppose sometimes we forget and take for granted about uh, what we've got here isn't it? It is Simon, it's the age old thing, you, we never do the touristy things until we have family that come over or our children want to go up the laxi wheel or whatever else there is but what really brought home to me in my second season here I was doing tours of the yard and an American um, person came up to me, a gentleman, and he says to me going on about the trams and I thought oh are we going to get another story how the trams are bigger and better and they have more line in America but he was quite the opposite and he really clicked a switch on him he said do you realise he said you have got a unique thing on the Isle of Man you've got the oldest tram car you've got the oldest longest line he says you should really embrace what you have here and it really did you know I, I sort of stood back and thought you know what yeah we have here because when I came here I was from a maintenance sign I thought you know let's maintain these things but to me looking at them now yes we you know they are the living things to us and we maintain them and treat them and we really care for them but he really clicked onto me and I you know I wish the Isle of Man public would sort of think wow you know we have got something unique here it is you know let's embrace it let's get out and enjoy the railway and it's 125 years old and it's fantastic well there we are some of the people who were involved in getting the event organised to celebrate 125 years of the Manx Electric Railway. I was talking there to the Derby Castle Supervisor, Steve Hall, Liam Miller from Customer Services, Andrew Scarf from the Engineering Office, and firstly to Hannah LeBeau, the Customer Service Manager. And of course, it'll be a wonderful opportunity to see the three number one trams all at Laxey Station together. That'll be absolutely wonderful. All gets underway Saturday the 1st of September and that runs through till the 8th. Just another event to mention as well, which is getting underway this Saturday. It's the St John's Produce Show. That is at the Methodist Hall at St John's. That all gets underway at 3pm. And just finally, a reminder for the public to be vigilant about tackling Dutch elm disease here on the Isle of Man. They've been asked to uh, if they, you know, have a look at the trees, if you see any signs of Dutch elm disease. And there's, of course, that see it, snap it and send it which is in progress at the moment. If you think that it could be something that's like Dutch elm disease, just take a photograph of it and you can send it off straight away to the DEFA officers there and get more details as well from DEFA on the website. 
Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Well, there we are, this week's Countryside, the celebrations of 125 years of the Manx Electric Railway, and uh, that runs till the 8th of September. Also there we heard from Caroline Dawson, the guest speaker at the recent Isle of Man Food Farming and Fishing Awards with some uh, great ideas and enthusiasm uh, to encourage people to buy local produce. And also the chairman of the Manx Back Group, Kevin Wells. That'll do for this week's Countryside. We're back next week with more, so we'll see you then. Bye-bye. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus Broadband from Shaw. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shaw.com. Love being sure. Terms and conditions apply.